let's quiet our hearts and minds and our souls. And as Jan often uh, reminds us, let's uh, take a moment. We're in the right place at the right time. And all we need to do is come before the Lord right now. So let's do that. Almighty God, you are the one who made all things. You made time, you made space, you made life, you made beauty, you made love. You made us to be in this time and this place. And you made us to experience this life as days come, as days go. We look back, we look forward, but especially we look to the moment that we have right now to study, to think, to question, to be amazed and amused by the story of faithful folks who have come before us, to be convicted of our own opportunity and need to be faithful in our time, and in hope that someday somebody might look back upon us and learn from our faithfulness not because we want the attention or need the attention. It really should be on you. And that's where we want to give our attention today is to you. So thank you again for the gift of folks who lived long ago, who live still in the pages of scripture, who live in our imaginations. Help us to learn from them. Help us to emulate them where they were faithful and strong, help us to learn from them where they were not, because we know the stories about you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, are you ready to be finished with Genesis? No? Yep. You know what's interesting? We could start this study all over again next year, and there'd be still tons and tons and tons to talk about. So we won't do that, though. <laughs> I can tell you this much as well. I can tell you that next year's study will not be Genesis. How does that sound? <laughs> okay. <laughs> At least that's our plan. All right. As we are coming to the close of the book of Genesis, let's keep just a few things in mind, partly to give us a sense of the context of where we will be today, but also to give us a sense of what we have learned, some of the major themes and ideas of Genesis. Number one, Genesis is about God. It's not about us. We are included in the story, but do you remember way back at the beginning that we're not here yet? Does that make sense? We're not here yet. God is here, <laughs> and God makes us. That simple fact ought to tell us something really, really important about God and about us. We weren't here, and then God made us to be here. God made everything to be good. God had a purpose for everything. God had a design for everything. Because he's God, that purpose and that design have not gone away even though we have gone away from it. So much of the story about Genesis, many people would say, and I would agree, that, that one way you can talk about the story of the Bible, the whole Bible, is the story of how God made us and we went away and God came after us. And our job is to turn back to God. Is that a good way to talk about the story of the Bible? Exactly, exactly. In the particular story, 
of the family of Abraham. Abraham, what comes next? Isaac, what comes next? Jacob, what comes next? Joseph. I should have said who comes next, right? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. And some very important women along the way, <laughs> without whom there would have been no Abraham or Isaac or Jacob or Joseph, right? In that story of that family, we see how God is acting to bring humanity back to himself. It's a complicated story. Now, looking around this room, I can see a couple of you that have been around long enough to know that life is complicated. Let, let's, let's do a Baptist thing. I'll say life is complicated and you'll say amen, okay? Let's try that. Life is complicated. Amen. Excellent. Wow, you could be good Baptists. <laughs> oh my. You know what? The older I get, the more I insult everybody. And it's so much fun. <laughs> it's so much fun. And get away with it. <laughs> they take pity on an old man. What can I say? <laughs> what can I say? Yeah, so that's the story, okay? We've, we have followed mostly in Genesis the story of Abraham's family and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. And now we're coming to the end of that story. As we look at these last three chapters, in a sense, we are going to pick up all of the major themes of Genesis. So let's spend a little bit of time. These are somewhat longer chapters, um, and, but I think it will help us if we read uh, chapter 48 together. We will skip through most of the text of chapter 49, and uh, we will read a lot of the text of chapter 50. But let's just start in. Okay, you re now, you all remember, and Jan has taken you through this, right? We, we, we have uh, Jacob and all, the, all of his sons have come into Egypt uh, and met up with Joseph there. We've heard a lot about Joseph's life, and now we're finishing the story of both Jacob and Joseph. After this, verse 1, Joseph was told, your father is ill. So he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. When Jacob was told, your son Joseph has come to you, he summoned his strength and sat up in bed. And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan, and he blessed me and said to me, I am going to make you fruitful and increase your numbers. I will make of you a company of peoples and will give this land to your offspring after you for a perpetual holding. Therefore, your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are now mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine, just as Reuben and Simeon are. As for the offspring born to you after them, they shall be yours. They shall be recorded under the names of their brothers with regard to their inheritance. For when I came from Padan, Rachel, alas, died in the land of Canaan on the way, while there was still some distance to go to Ephrath, and I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is, Bethlehem. When Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, Who are these? Joseph said to his father, They are my sons, whom God has given me here. And he said, Bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age, and he could not see well. So Joseph brought them near him, and he kissed them and embraced them. Israel said to Joseph, I did not expect to see your face, and here God has let me see your children also. 
Then Joseph removed them from his father's knees, and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand toward Israel's left, and Manasseh in his left hand toward Israel's right, and brought them near him. But Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands, for Manasseh was the firstborn. He blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my ancestors Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all harm, bless the boys, and in them let my name be perpetuated and the name of my ancestors, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude on the earth. When Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. So he took his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. Joseph said to his father, Not so, my father, since this one is the firstborn, put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day, saying, By you Israel will invoke blessings, saying, God make you like Ephraim and like Manasseh. So he put Ephraim ahead of Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, I am about to die but God will be with you and will bring you again to the land of your ancestors. I now give to you one portion more than to your brothers, the portion that I took from the hand of the Amorites with my sword and with my bow. Okay, let's dive in. Let's, let's clear up one little, I think of it as a little thing. Some scholars make a huge deal out of it. You have the same story sort of told twice. Did you notice that? And you have Jacob referred to as Jacob and Israel referred to as Israel. But we've already heard the story how when Jacob wrestled with the angel, he gave him the new name of Israel. There is much evidence in the Old Testament and some in the New that in the Bible we have, for the most part, lots of different oral traditions that became written traditions that were then blended together. And here, in a sense, we have two different stories about the same thing that have slightly different aspects to them. But taken together, I think they give us a much more complete picture of what's happened. And so we have Joseph bringing his sons to Jacob and Joseph bringing his sons to Israel. They're the same person. It's the same event, but it's told from two different perspectives. Does that make sense to you? So in my book, we don't need to worry too much about that. Skeptics want to say this is proof that you can't trust the Bible, that it was all made up. Well, that doesn't make any sense at all, at all because if, if that's the truth, that you can't trust a document that has more than one story and more than one perspective in it, then that means you can't trust anything that is written down by more than one person. And frankly, all the history that we know is written down by lots of people over long periods of time, and it's constantly revised and renewed. And so that's part of what's going on in the Bible. That's a really minor thing. Let's move on to the major things. What we're going to see in these three chapters is a couple of very important dynamics, a couple of very important truths of life, a couple of important transactions that we've already talked about here. So when I mention them to you, you're going to say, oh, of course, this makes total sense. 
One of the things that we're seeing happen is the transmission of the story of the family, the transmission of the truth about God from one generation to the next. How many of you have younger people in your life, perhaps your children, your grandchildren, nieces, nephews, somebody younger, to whom you have told everything that they need to know, who you've tried to show them everything that they need to know about living life, and they have adopted all of it, hook, line, and sinker? Anybody here? <laughs> yeah. Ain't never happened, ain't never gonna happen, right? <laughs> but let's focus on you now or on me. How many of you learned something from the generation ahead of you that you still hold on today that you try to pass on to the next generation? Anybody here? Absolutely. Here's when to cross the street. Here's when not to cross the street. That's pretty important information, right? So that's part of what's going on here, is the transmission, not just of information, but of truth. Truth. Something else that's going on here is we see Jacob, and then we will see Joseph actively, intentionally, purposefully dying. Were you expecting that word? But that's exactly what's going on here. Jacob knows he's going to die. How many of you know that you're going to die? How many of you are kicking and screaming and refusing to admit that truth? How many of you hope it's a long time from now? Of course, <laughs> right? How many of you are ready for it right now, right? Yeah, there we go, <clears throat> there we go. Our culture denies the fact that people die. In fact, and I've preached on this before, it just irks me one, up one side and down the other when people say, and I know you all say it, and I'm not mad at you, I still love you, but people say someone passed on. No, what did they pass on to? They died, right? People hate to hear that word, but that's what happens to us. We die. These bodies end. And on the face of it, it feels like we end. That's why we don't want to talk about it. We don't want to admit the grief, the agony, the, the difficulty of adjusting to life once somebody is gone. I, I understand all that extremely well. However, it still is a fact of life. And I would contend that as you and I go back to the beginning of the story and understand that the story is not about us, as we understand that the story that we live is a story that God created for us and we're in God's hand, as we are created and born, as we come to the end of our lives and die, if we will continue to stay grounded and strong in that faith, then it's easier for us simply to say, someday I'm going to die. Does that make sense to you? So in, in a very, um, it's sort of an oblique kind of way. It's not a direct kind of way. But here we see Jacob and Joseph expressing their faith and their trust in the God who made them, who came before them, 
the God who was here before them and the God who will be here after them. Does that make sense to you? And so all of that, I think, gives us strength and gives us hope and gives us peace and gives us even a sense of joy as we look at the sum total of our lives. We've looked at several generations of life here. Abraham is born, Abraham dies. Isaac is born, Isaac dies. Jacob, Joseph, everybody else. And so there are some lessons to be learned here about actively, intentionally, not, not taking your own life, but admitting that at some point your life is going to be over and you have important work to do. You have very important work to do as you transition, as you pass from this life into the next. Now, it is a great blessing. It is a great blessing. I was just talking with someone uh, and, and directly asked, I do that now that I'm old and I get away with it. You know, I was taught you're never supposed to ask a woman how old she is. Uh, horse hockey. I love finding out how old anybody is because I think it's an amazing accomplishment to live as long as we do, many of us, right? Not everybody gets to do that. As much as we lament old age, not everybody gets to live a long, long time, right? And so we see Jacob gets to live a long, long time. Joseph doesn't get to live as long as Jacob does because Joseph's life doesn't belong to him. Jacob's life doesn't belong to him. Your life doesn't belong to you, it belongs to God. And so Jacob calls Joseph to be with him, and you have what is an incredibly poignant moment. It's really hard to pull this out. Here's where we need Hollywood to help us, right? Here you have the old, old man Jacob, who a long time ago thought that his son Joseph had died, right? He held his garment stained with blood, ripped and torn, and thought he had lost his son. They say there's nothing harder than losing a child. I get that. Joseph had, uh, Jacob had lost his child, and then he says, here I am. I get to see you again. You weren't lost, and even more, I get to see your babies. I get to see your sons. Think of the pathos of that. There's great human passion in all of these stories. We gloss over them, of course, because they're scripture, they're the word of God. Well, the word of God and the presence of God and the activity of God in our lives is part of, of, of the passion that we feel, part of the transition from one generation. All of that stuff that we go through in life is part of life. So Jacob claims Joseph's two sons as his own. What's that about? Part of that, we have a clue there. Jacob says they're going to get a portion of my inheritance. Jacob is making sure that Joseph's two sons are going to have some material wealth in order that they might continue, right? But it's more than just that. It is a claim that in the birth of Jacob's grandsons, the family goes on. And that's another major story, I think, of Genesis, that God creates a human family to express his purpose and his will for all families, and God's going to make sure that that family continues. Here where Jacob thought that at least through Joseph, his family was gone, now he realizes through Joseph, the family's going to continue. And so in adopting the two sons, what he's saying is, look, God has continued the family. 
Isn't that a beautiful thing? That's something else where in our culture we don't really quite get how important it is, and I'll raise that truth for you again, that in ancient cultures where a lot of babies died before they got to be two or three days old or two or three years old, in a lot of cultures where mamas died as they were giving birth to children or shortly after, in a lot of cultures, and this culture, where people lived only to be, on average, about 40 years old, the business of babies being born and successfully growing up and having more babies is vitally important business. There's no guarantee. Now today, in the world where we're worried about too many babies being born, and we're worried about how many people the world can withstand and support, we don't get that sense as much in reading those stories, but this is a vital transaction of life. And I would contend that even in the modern world, it still is a vital transaction of life. All we have to do is stop having babies. If we stopped having babies today, then 80 or 90 or 100 years from now, there would be no human beings on the face of the planet Earth. Think about that. Do, you, do these things wake you up at night? <laughs> I wake up at night and sometimes I'm thinking about them, right? So we're celebrating that. Now, in the midst of that celebration, in the midst of that celebration, notice that Jacob retells what we've already heard before. You might be getting bored with it, actually, but we should never get bored with it. Look at verse 15. Jacob blesses Joseph and says, The God before whom my ancestors Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all harm, that God, please now bless these boys. And in them let my name be perpetuated. And the name of my ancestors Abraham and Isaac. And let them grow into a multitude on the earth. There's very clear evidence that ancient Jews believed that their eternal life, if you will, was not so much about them dying and being resurrected into life forever with God, but it was more about their life continuing to be lived in their children and grandchildren and in their posterity. And over time, people began to realize that there was more going on there. But in terms of God's great experiment, God's great activity on earth, babies need to be born so life continues. What happens? Go back to the creation story. The older I get, the more I realize how all theology is tied back to the creation story. God made it all, and he created people to live on the earth and said, this is good. Forget about the business of dying and going to heaven somewhere else for a while. One of the things we've also said is that the vision of ancient Jews, in a sense the vision of New Testament Christians, was not so much that we're going to go somewhere else to enjoy eternal beauty and peace and goodness, but that God's going to remake it all down here. Do you remember that conversation? And so God is continuing his creation by creating new generations. And that's a tremendous gift. I read somewhere not long ago that don't quote me on the number, something like 20, 25% of adults, uh, men and women, uh, are unable to have children. And, and I'm sure that's true of some of you. You know, that's true in, in, in some of my family. It's not just a given 
that, that when a man and woman hook up, they're, they're going to have a baby. It's not a given at all. It's a great miracle. It's, it's all, we have some medical people in this room, right? The older I get, the more I realize how the creation of a baby and that baby growing to full term and that baby being healthy, it's amazing. Because there's 800 billion things that could go wrong every second, right? <laughs> and so Jacob here, in his blessing the boys points us back toward what God has done, toward what God is doing. And that too is another faithful thing that we are called to in our life with God is always looking back to what God has done. Because that is the surest clue to us about what God will do. You and I actually trace our faith history back to this conversation. Have you ever thought of it that way? Our faith history goes back to this conversation between Jacob and Joseph and Ephraim and Manasseh. It goes back in the sense that the transmission of this truth about God, now there are other streams, other places it happens, but, but this is one of them where we can say the knowledge of who God is and what God is doing in the world and what we believe about that goes all the way back here. And it's really not so much time. You know, how long ago was this? Maybe 3,500 years ago? Maybe 3,800 years ago? That's only 38 lifetimes in the length of time that a lot of people live today. That's not much. It happened just like that. Once some of you turn 400, right, you're going to say, you know, what's, what's 3,800 years? It's not that big a deal, right? <laughs> So all of those things are, are going on in this blessing. Now, one other thing, and then we'll have to continue. I can get wound up about this stuff and just go on forever. You've noticed that, haven't you? Yeah. So, so Joseph takes his two sons, and his dad's blind, and so he knows his dad is going to reach out to the bless the boys. So he puts the older one at at his dad's right hand and the younger one at his dad's left hand, but then Jacob switches his hands. Why was that? What's going on with that, right? Is Jacob just fooling around with things again, right? One of the things we learned about Jacob is that Jacob is always conniving and scheming. Maybe that was there. Joseph tries to make it right, and I love Jacob's response. I know, I know. Just don't worry about this. You know, son, I've got this. <laughs> One of the things we've learned in Genesis is what? is that when things don't go the way we think they're supposed to go in the normal, rational order of life, the way we've organized it, everything gets upset. And sometimes maybe even God is the one who upsets it, but that doesn't stop God, does it? That doesn't stop God. Your life has not gone as you thought it would. Is there anyone in this room who can say to me with 100% uh, accuracy, and certainty that my life has gone exactly the way I thought it would or the way I wanted it to. Anybody here? Of course not, right? But God is still there, isn't he? And here again, we see that truth. All right, we better keep on going. Let's go into chapter 49. Now, I'm not going to read most of chapter 49, partly for time, but now 
Remember, Jacob is actively dying. So Jacob has called Joseph to him and Joseph's two sons, and he has blessed them. Now Jacob calls all the rest of his sons to him and says, gather around, this is verse one of chapter 49, that I may tell you what will happen to you in days to come. Assemble and hear, excuse me, O sons of Jacob. Listen to Israel, your father. And then he starts to address each of the sons. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Zebulun, Issachar, Dan, Gad, Asher, Naphtali, all of them. And he tells them what their posterity is going to be all about. Skeptics look at this, and, and there's a piece of us that I think is it's healthy to be skeptical. They look at this and say, how could Jacob know all that stuff? And we could say, God told him, and he told the rest, okay. Skeptics look at it and say, this is a speech that was written for Jacob long after, maybe hundreds and hundreds of years after Jacob had lived, as a way of describing why the story of these 12 boys worked out the way it worked out. Okay, maybe there's something to that. I also happen to think that God can do whatever God wants to do. And, and I like to think of it this way, that Jacob knew his sons pretty well and what they were like. And one of the things that you see work out in history is that the characteristics, the qualities, the personality, the propensities and tendencies of a person tend to get passed on from generation to generation. How many of you act like your mother? <laughs> right? How many of you act like your father? How many of you haven't the foggiest idea where you came from? <laughs> right? And so it could, part of, part of me says Jacob was very attuned to his boys and said, you know, Reuben, this is kind of what you're like. This is what your people are going to end up being like. In addition to God revealing things to Jacob, who knows? But it's a long story that at, at its base, to me, the most fundamental truth is that Jacob understands that God has a plan for everything. And then in all of the craziness and weirdness, when you read that description of what's going to happen to the different tribes that come out of these 12 sons, you see lots of great stuff, you see lots of not great stuff. But you have this sense that God already knows about it. And that as it plays itself out, God is still going to be there in it. And then, of course, towards the end of the story, in verse 22... Jacob comes to Joseph. Joseph is a fruitful bough, a fruitful bough by a spring. His branches run over the wall. The archers fiercely attacked him. They shot at him and pressed it hard. Jacob goes on and on and on, talking more about Joseph than he does any of the others. Why is that? Well, we already know Joseph is his favorite son, right? And it is through Joseph's line, primarily, that the family has been saved and that the family's going to continue and grow and be blessed. Then verse 29, then he charged them saying to them, I am about to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my ancestors in the cave in the field of Ephraim the Hittite, in the cave in the field at Machpelah near Mamre in the land of Canaan, in the field that Abraham bought from Ephraim the Hittite as a burial site. There Abraham and his wife Sarah were buried, there Isaac and his wife Rebekah were buried, and there I buried Leah. The field and the cave that is in it were purchased from the Hittites. When Jacob ended his charge to his sons, he drew up his feet into the bed, breathed his last, and was gathered to his people.
I thought it was important to read those words out loud because we've been spending a lot of time with Jacob. At least we can give him the time to say, you died, right? Gathered to his people. Nina's not here today. Nina loves that phrase, and I love it with Nina, right? Gathered to his people. How many of you have made plans to be taken back to Indiana or somewhere for your mortal remains to be, find their final resting place? Okay, how many of you have not made plans? Shame on you. No. <laughs> right? <laughs> I know, I know, I know. We could all tell lots of stories, couldn't we? Here is part of the closing of a chapter that is lived within the purpose and promise of God. And it started, that we're going back several generations now. How many of you know the first names of your grandparents? How many of you know their middle names? How many of you know the first names of your great-grandparents? How about their middle names? How about your great-great-grandparents? I'm going to keep going back far enough till eventually you don't, right? <laughs> These folks remember the generations because they take lessons from them. They take strength from them. They realize that they are living within a story that is larger than them, All right? How, how many of you hope to be remembered when you're gone, All right? Let me rephrase that. How many of you hope to be remembered positively for good things? <laughs> okay. I got a better response there. That's good. That's good, right? Jacob is going to be taken back to the homeland that is not yet the homeland. He makes pains to note that we bought this land. This little plot is ours. But the land itself, the region, the land of Canaan, the holy land, the promised land, is not yet their land. Now, we don't have time to begin to discuss all the ways in which the promise of a homeland for the Hebrew people has worked itself out in history. But the Hebrew people understood that the gift of a homeland, a place they could call their own, a place where they were rooted and grounded, was one of the gifts of God. There's a lot more to say about that from the perspective of Christian theology, especially. Christians believe that God has given all of us a homeland. This home is our good earth. We're meant to share it with everybody else who exists on the planet, whether they're Hebrews or not. And we look forward to a homeland that is ours, as the old song says, in the sweet by and by, right? And so if we get too focused on this land that God has promised to us, we can go into a lot of places where I think God doesn't want us to go. I have sat with some people who've said, this land is our land and everybody else should leave. I don't read any of that in the Old Testament or the New Testament. I read scraps and bits and pieces of that, but there's a whole lot of stuff in the Old Testament and especially in the New that tells us that there's more to that story going on. But there is something beautiful in its heart and in its origin and in its intention that we have a place. We have a place where we belong, right? 
We sometimes identify that as a physical location somewhere geographically on the surface of the planet. But even more so, we have a place where we belong in the family history, in the story of God's people. How many of you were born right here in San Diego? One, two. Is that it? Two people in this room, right? My father was born, lived primarily his whole life, and died within a few hundred yards of where he started is where he ended. And that's the way it used to be with a lot of people. Most people, as a matter of fact. That's not the way it is anymore, right? I have a very, very deep sense of the rootedness of my home in New Mexico, but that's only one of my homes because then there's Mama, who ain't from New Mexico, <laughs> right? Where is our home? Our home is in a place. Our home is in people. Our home is in a story. Our home ultimately is in the one who gave it all to us. So let's not get too excited about the Holy Land belonging only to the Jews. We get into problems there, right? But there's also much beautiful stuff for us to learn in that. We better keep going because I want to give you a chance to ask some questions. Genesis chapter 50. Joseph, uh, excuse me, Jacob dies. And then J Joseph throws himself on his father's face and weeps over him and kisses him. And then I'm going to uh, summarize here. So Jacob dies, and Jacob's body is treated like any good Egyptian's body would be treated. There's a problem, though. Jacob is not Egyptian. Joseph is pretty Egyptian. How many of you have kind of become... The two that were born here, you're excused from this, okay? We understand why. But if you weren't born from here, how many of you have become kind of Southern Californian? Yeah, yeah. Some of you, you don't want to admit it, do you? <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, we take on the characteristics, the cult, we take on all that stuff of the new place to where we've gone, and that's a continuous issue in the Old Testament and even in the new and in Christian life, right? Uh, but, but here we see Jacob's body is embalmed, it's mourned over, all kinds of stuff goes on that's a very Egyptian way of doing things. But Jacob is not Egyptian. Jacob insists that he be taken back to the homeland because he will not fully adopt the Egyptian ways. And he is, in fact, taken back to the homeland. So... Jacob's body is taken back. He's buried there. Joseph comes back. The brothers come with him. They're all living in Egypt for a while. It's like they're exiled. I've been, somebody preached about exile here not long ago, as I recall. Right? They're exiled for a while. Generations, actually. They go back into Egypt. And then a new problem arises. What's the problem? The other brothers who had sold their brother off into slavery some of whom wanted to just have him killed. Now, dad is gone, and they're worried. How many of you have lived through that dynamic? You wait until the old ones die in order to address issues or problems of the current generation, right? Well, I just couldn't bring it, I couldn't bring myself to leave Indiana and move to California until mom died, and then I could leave Indiana, or whatever. Right? Okay, but the brothers are worried. Ooh, Jacob's not here anymore to protect us from Joseph. 
And Joseph, they come to Joseph and say, they create a story. The brothers are so devious, just like everybody else is. Hey, Joseph, you know, Jacob told us that you weren't supposed to harm us once he was gone. <laughs> How easily we can create stories to manage life in our own way. Joseph, though, uh, has already forgiven his brothers. He pronounces to his brothers again that he has forgiven them. He does forgive them. And then Joseph says something incredibly important. Let's be sure we highlight this phrase. This is something that you could underline and something that even you could memorize, perhaps. Verse 20 of chapter 50. Even though you intended to do harm to me, God intended it for good in order to preserve a numerous people as he is doing today. What does Joseph say? Joseph has suffered a lot, right? He's come through that suffering and he's enjoyed a lot, but he's suffered a lot. And he looks directly into the face of the people who caused that suffering and says, let's not worry about that because we know that no matter what you did, as devious and sly and despicable and murderous as it was, God had the power to transform it into something wonderful, and God's going to get his way in the end. You've studied Revelation with me before, right? Give me the summary of what Revelation means. God wins, yes. Yet there's still people who remember. My life has not been a total waste. That's fantastic. God wins. God wins. God wins. Right? Even though everything was upside down, topsy-turvy, just in a total utter shambles, God wins. Here's one place where we have, in some sense, the entire theology of Genesis. Okay? One way of saying that. So then, Joseph remains in Egypt, and he lives to be 110, and he sees the generations of his family begin to grow and develop, and then he dies. Joseph dies. Joseph makes everything right. Remember, Jacob actively, intentionally, purposefully dies in the sense that he knows it's coming and he prepares for it and plans for it and does what he needs to do so the next generations can continue. And Joseph does the same things. So Joseph made the Israelites swear, saying, this is verse 25, when God comes to you, you shall carry up my bones from here. And Joseph died being 110 years old. He was embalmed and placed in a coffin in Egypt. Joseph now dies. And this is the end of the story. It's the end of this chapter. This is the first season on Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> This is the end of the first season. And just like every good, good story, there's a little something that's tossed out there that says, wait, there's more that's going to come. How many of you remember who shot JR? <laughs> remember that on Dallas, right? JR gets shot, and then you've got to wait all summer to find out who did it. That's kind of what goes on here. <laughs> okay? Joseph, Joseph's body is placed in Egypt. Jacob made sure his was going back to the homeland that would one day be theirs. Do you remember what some of you have read ahead? I'm certain that you have. You saw the movie. You saw the movie. <laughs> right? You saw the movie. Exactly. What happens 
with Joseph's body. There we go. You saw the movie. Yes. Charlton Heston, right? 400 years later is raised up as Moses and says to the Pharaoh, let my people go. And as they're leaving, they take the bones of Joseph. 400 years later, he said, do it. You know, you know what happens when you say to the people that are still alive, you must do this. You know what happens? They forget. Or they come up with a better plan. Right? It's not guaranteed. I'm sorry if that comes as bad news to some of you, but that's the way it goes. Anyhow, so there we have it. There we have it. Let me stop. Ask some questions. Make some comments for a few minutes. What bubbles up inside of you? Right? Robin has the the, what's that thing called? A microphone? There we go. Anybody here? Okay. All the way over to Susan. Run, 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 run. <laughs> I am truly amazed that Joseph, I know he excelled in Egypt, but the way the Egyptians accepted him and when the father died, all the staff and all the people, so many people from Egypt went with the um, the group that buried him, you know, I th always thought there was some animosities going on until yeah. we come to Joseph in his life. It's, I mean, I'm, I'm happy for it, but I'm sure, surprised. Sure. Yeah, good, good observation. Here's a couple thoughts. If, if you look at human history through a long enough period of time, you begin to see that groups of people, okay, like the Hebrews, the Jews, and the Egyptians, taking them as the example, over time, over a long period of time, they are both enemies and friends, if you go long enough. We are told, and I, I saw this, this footnote uh, just as I was studying for this um, a few days ago, that there was a period that there is an independent record in Egyptian records that talk about a people who were not Egyptian, who for a time sort of rose to ascendancy. They never took over the Egyptian empire, uh, but they lived and, and worked and thrived in Egypt. And some people think that that is referring to the time when Joseph and the family of Jacob lived in Egypt. Okay, And so it, it is surprising to us, of course, because we take one little piece of the history, right, we, the history that we take is, oh, the Jews were enslaved in Egypt and God had to do mighty things to convince Yul Brynner to let Moses Charlton Heston take them out, right? Um, and, and that's real history, and it's, that's really important to focus on, of course, but it's much more complicated than that, okay? Let me give you a modern historical example, right? Uh, and, and some of you from the UK can, can tell me more about this, but um, don't we have a prime minister now of, the, of, of England who is actually not a lily-white Englishman? He's Indian, right? Okay, maybe he's the modern day Joseph. If you study history long enough, you see how everything gets thrown in and mixed up over time, which should tell us something about how we treat people who are not like us. You can go a long way with that, but thank you for that observation. Yes. One thing that I learned, or I don't know if it's learned the right way, what got me is that studying this from Abraham who worshiped God Isaac and, and on. Joseph is the first one that is written down here for us to say he is actually glorifying God. 
being able to look back and see God, how God has worked in his life mm -hmm. to save him from all these different things and the gifts that God has given him. It's more, it's like what we see today, how we can see God in our lives working. It's mentioned here, whereas in the pre previous generations, it's not as... Um, Specific. Yeah, yeah. We do. We do see each one of the. Of, we call them the patriarchs, right? Mm -hmm. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then Joseph, of course. Each one of them, their own way, begins to recognize that God has been at work. That that we just had that from Jacob, yeah. right? As he's blessing the sons, this God who did X and Y right. and Z, right? But there's. Um, we do see it very much in Joseph, and of course, as we get to the, we get more detail about the story of Joseph in some way. Um, and that's one of the dynamics of what happens in all of Scripture. Uh, the prayers of the Psalms are that way. We look back so that we can see things better, don't we? This is that benefit of hindsight. And with the benefit of hindsight, uh, with the faith that God gives us, we see where God has been all along. And, yeah. jo and Joseph is teaching his brothers. Oh, very when much he, so. When he's saying that. Look at what God has done. Yeah. It's not what you did. It's what yeah. God did. It's and what God did, yeah. And that's a teaching. Jo it is teaching. Joseph is lifted up as the hero among the 12 brothers. You know, we could say, well, he was just Jacob's favorite. And so, you know, he gets more, more airtime than the other brothers do. But, but we also see that Joseph is the one who, in a sense, had it the worst of all the brothers. Look at the terrible things Joseph went through. But those were also things that taught Joseph about God, weren't they? Joseph's suffering, so that he, in some sense, does become the hero at the end of that. There is that dynamic. Not that. So if you want to become a hero of the faith, then choose to suffer. You know what? I'll let somebody else be a hero, <laughs> right? That's kind of what goes on. Yeah, God chooses. God chooses. All right. Are you ready to keep studying next year? All right. Who knows what we're going to look at? God knows. <laughs> Let's pray. <laughs> Lord God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, the one who called all things into being, the one who redeems and restores and renews, the one without whom we cannot exist. We praise you and glorify you for having given us this season of study, this season of time together with mostly sisters and a couple of brothers in faith, as we have sought to continue our journeys in the light of your love. Help us keep walking until one day you call us to walk somewhere else. Help us to know that our home is in you. Help us to know that you are in charge, that you are in control. Help us to turn ourselves over to your purposes for our lives so that we might live as part of your story of what you are doing to continue to create and to make and to bless all creation with your love. We pray that in Jesus, the one who loved us so much that he gave himself for us. Amen. God bless you, my children.